Good evening, everybody. Uh, nice to see you all again. Uh, so coming to the last analysis of our six talks, my six talks, which, um, yeah, I've got a sort of feeling of mixed, a mixed um, feeling about that. I've, I've really enjoyed, actually, the creativity of reflecting on the subject matter for the talks. And also, um, it does take your thinking further, doesn't it, to think about a theme. Uh, but, uh, yeah, doing one of these every week is also quite a major... Uh, been a major aspect of my life and um, yeah so that it's been um, probably very dharma filled six weeks <laughs> quite intense intense, <coughs> intense as well can you hear me okay at the back I know the creakings from upstairs can be louder than our voices sometimes yeah so uh, anyway so we've come to the last evening and this topic of spontaneous compassionate activity oh I think I've got a I've got a flip chart for this evening's um, presentation, so because it was spontaneous, I thought um, I'd do it slightly differently. But now I've got to spontaneously find the flip chart. The sheet was the first one. Yeah, so that's uh, just a little outline of what I'm going to be doing this evening. You can't all see it, can you, from there? I'll just put it further back. So I will start with a little um, recap of the five stages. Uh, and then we're going to be looking at this spontaneous compassionate activity. Uh, I've got four uh, flow diagram sheets. One about the, from the point of view, the level of the bodhisattva and the enlightened level, bodhisattva spontaneity. Then, um, so what, what does that all mean for us in the here and now, if we're not totally bodhisattvas already, which many, many of us won't be? Um, what do we give to the world? And then reflections on the path. And that's a bit of a summing up of the whole series. And we've got some precepts to take away with us as well, which when Sangrachta came up with this uh, rather beautiful series, this teaching, he actually concluded his teaching with five very straightforward down-to-earth precepts that we can um, take away and just practice that, that teaching. And I forgot to mention I have a title, Giving Ourselves to the World. Giving Ourselves to the World. <clears throat> Yep. So this last phase, last stage of the uh, the path, spontaneous compassionate activity, it's really uh, you could say we've reached the end of the path. Actually, it's enlightenment. Um, it's the real bodhisattva activity. And uh, but as we as we know, I've been talking about the path being something we we um, progress in and go through. We can do it every day, or uh, it's like an everyday. Thing that we just we're all we're all progressing through and working on, and therefore we can look at this stage as just the fruit of our practice in any moment, the fruit of our spiritual practice. So I'm going to be saying a bit about both aspects of the path as we um, look at it this evening. But I thought I'd do a. I've made a little drawing here. This is a, this is the path. Uh, so what we've got here is. Uh, an idea of, I think I gave, I mentioned this in one of the talks a few weeks ago, 
as a way of well it is a path this these five stages are an actual path and uh, I think I remember talking about it last time yeah we sort of set off on this path and um, I've got a little signpost there it says to Nirvana I don't know if you can see that <laughs> and in a way why we, the first talk was all about why we set out and uh, we, we, I think we set out in order to perhaps deal with deal with um, how we find the world or how we find ourselves as something that we want a solution to in our lives um, so we set out on this path and the first stage of the path is this path of mindfulness and integration, becoming aware of ourselves, becoming whole and uh, sort of harmoniously connected being um, through really the practice of mindfulness and ethics is sort of the main sort of practice at that stage and we talked about the path sort of taking us through uh, starting off can be really nice um, get these beautiful days when it's the stream is bubbling by and it's sunny but then uh, we end up maybe later in the day it pours with rain and we're walking through a quagmire and uh, we've got to go over barbed wire fences and uh, but we're getting to know ourselves aren't we through all this it's a, one of these type of paths and we just keep on going we're camping overnight and we keep, carry on um, and through all these experiences, become aware of ourselves, integrate ourselves more deeply, uh, and uh, through that develop positive emotion. Um, the, path, the, the path is sort of zipping round. We get lost occasionally, but um, as we go on, we come through the stage of positive emotion where we're deepening our positive mental states, uh, and spiritual emotions through the metabhavna and um, devotion um, more practice of ethics and meditation in general, and so that 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 path then it sort of builds on all the. We keep on practicing mindfulness as we go, and uh, that sort of this sort of uh, acts as a grounding really for a, the more aware we are. Sometimes the more skillful we can be in our daily lives, and therefore, um, yeah, I think in our hearts we become freer of conflict and. Uh, yeah, free, free of regret about our unskillful actions and therefore more positive as well, even more so. <clears throat> that sort of builds up until we, um, we're beginning to have a bit of a hard time here. We're ascending a mountain, so we're, things can get a bit tough. We're sort of preparing to... Well, we're really yearning to see how things are, how things really are. We're yearning to the, find the truth of things um, and the truth of ourselves. And that isn't easy, so we're, we're sort of plunging deeper into ourselves through our meditation practice. Uh, and sometimes someone gives us a hand to come up the mountain and we've got somebody sitting on the top and they're, they've thrown a rope down to this other person and they're sort of encouraging them up, up the mountain. Uh, and they get to this particular point where there's a... Uh, well, we do get flashes of vision and flashes of insight in the path from time to time. Uh, so we, we may not be at the highest mountain, but actually we, we can see quite a bit. Um, and so our spiritual path... Uh, I think over and over again we do have these glimpses of vision and it's one of the things I was saying in one of his previous talks how important it is to notice those and um, yeah, take them seriously and not think it's not put them aside thinking oh, that's not really it uh, I need to wait until I'm in you know I have real vision or real insight but all our flashes of all the insights we have in our lives are very very vital and important so yeah we are definitely on a peak uh, we rest for a bit and then we, we carry on and um, we, as we, we're getting higher and we can see further that was one of the, the points about the mountain actually that um, the mountain peak is the peak of uh, deeper, higher states of consciousness 
and then their states of greater objectivity and, and greater vision. So uh, we come eventually to this fourth stage, which is a stage of transformation. Um, and I describe that as, well, when, when we've really seen something in our, through insight, it does really change us. That's one of the, he, the key keys of insight, really, the hallmarks of insight or vision, is that when we really see something and we really understand it, then we do, immediately we act on it, actually. It's like when we get a, you know, get a um, car door slams on our fingers, we immediately know we're not going to do that again. And, uh, you know, it's like that. Insight apparently is like that. It's so, it's so obvious and so clear when we do see things as they are. And this stage of transformation is, invo- is to do with bringing the, that vision, that insight into our, uh, into our lives, really. It's really taking it on board and letting it sort of filter through. It's not just a head thing. It's not even just a heart thing. It sort of comes through our whole body and we try to act from that in our lives. Um, and in the, when I was drawing this, I thought, well, in a way, we spend a bit of time up here, we just sit and we mull it over as well. We have a quite, part of this stage of transformation is being quite quiet, um, giving ourselves a bit of space to assimilate and in a way to change. It's a stage of spiritual rebirth as well. And, and we, perhaps we become more open to other dimensions of ourselves that um, we hadn't known existed quite beautiful dimensions and quite refined dimensions and uh, uh, inspired dimensions too. And, um, and then the, the last stage, in fact, is coming back down the mountain. Uh, we're coming back through com- spontaneous compassionate activity. So we're coming back into the to- topic of tonight's talk. Yeah, so I was thinking we, 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 we set off on this journey where <coughs> In a way, trying to solve the mystery of the world, trying to understand the world. And maybe there's a bit of difficulty, aversion to some ways in which we find existence. But when we come back down from the mountain, um, there's this, this theme of, um, in a way, we're, we're more ready to uh, enter the world with a spont- spontaneous opening our hands to the world, giving of something that we've, um, whatever we've learnt in this journey there's something there that we want to in a way spontaneously give back to the world and so that's a bit of a um, sort of being little beings dancing down that path so now Vijamana is going to read a she's my beautiful assistant tonight uh, a quotation for, uh, Bandy talking about this stage from his original uh, notes and lecture. This means that having completely transformed oneself in accordance with one's original vision, one's vision of reality, one is then in a position really to help others. One could also say that this is also a stage of spontaneity, where you don't think what you're going to do to help others at least not in the ordinary way, you just spontaneously function. You do what needs to be done. There's a sort of overflow of your fully enlightened being.
that's rather beautiful actually isn't it overflow of our fully enlightened being mm. <coughs> it just gives me, puts, gives, brings to mind a sort of fountain a sort of um, this sense of being um, giving from a full cup you know we're not sort of giving giving from empty are we <coughs> giving because there's this very very positive overflow of inspiration and and love and uh, self-knowledge so this this state of incomprehensible really state of the bodhisattva the the being who's um, coursing in the uh, in the and the wisdom and compassion of enlightenment uh, very hard to understand at all what that's really about but um, it's said that the activity of enlightened bodhisattvas is completely spontaneous uh, yeah deeply moved by suffering uh, but it's not a that the action that comes from that is not um, overly sort of grim or serious or um, heavy, heavy-hearted. I, I think we've probably all had our own expression, experiences of, uh, even momentarily, I think, being moved um, by suffering to act very immediately uh, without really a thought for ourselves. Um, yes, and that not being a grueling thing. So I think we probably, I don't know, but I imagine most people have had several times at least or even every day I don't know that sort of sense of it not being a grueling thing or a very difficult thing it can be a really joyful thing to be able to help can't it um, sometimes we get to the end of our tether with it don't we but that's another matter but there have been times when we have actually managed to really be there for somebody else and uh, felt that yeah so I think that's a little sign of maybe for a bodhisattva that would be like that all the time all the time <laughs> Yeah, so this word spontaneity is an um, uh, interesting word as well. So I was thinking for myself, I was thinking, what do I think spontaneity means? And I have this bit of a connotation that it means things are a bit random and a bit sort of wacky and uh, uh, unplanned, a bit disorganised. And for myself, I, I couldn't really guarantee that anything I did that was spontaneous would be compassionate, because it would just, it could just, it would be a bit random. I couldn't. So again, that's one of the hallmarks of the Bodhisattva, that they can guarantee that their spontaneous expression would be a heartfelt compassion. So again, it's that sense of um, effort and effortlessness because their heart has been transformed, it's become egoless. That They've let go of that. Well, I think a couple of talks ago I talked about the ego and uh, the, that's what the nature of that insight is essentially into the, the fact that, the, that we don't really have a fixed self at all. It's just an idea. Uh, and not in a bit of string, for those of you who are here, for that particular talk. Uh, the ego is just like a knot we've tied in the string of our being, and um, because we've tied it up, well, we can untie it again, is what uh, Dante says. So the, you know, the Bodhisattva is spontaneously uh, free. It's free of the ego, free from those sort of drives of craving or aversion, which I guess are what often drive our own spontane spontaneity. Uh, when we're not, I suppose I, sometimes I think I'm being spontaneous when I'm not really thinking what I'm doing. Uh, and so when I'm not thinking what I'm doing, it's <laughs> a bit of recognition of it. Then I'm just, I suppose it's just my instinct. It might be good and it might not be good. Mm. Yeah. A bodhisattva also uh, has gone beyond that sort of sense of separation between self and other and really doesn't feel, uh, because of letting go of the ego, it really doesn't feel there's any essential difference between the self and the other, because 
Uh, we're all just life forms and we're all very, very precious for that. Uh, and again, maybe we've all had a sense of that occasionally as well, just that real feeling for somebody else, which isn't based on uh, a craving or lust or something, but it's actually, you know, it's a real sense of really glimpsing somebody. So I think, again, that's what a Bodhisattva would, their heart response would be, that real glimpse of, they'd be flooded by that um, appreciation of life all the time, I think. Very, very beautiful. So there's a, a traditional image, uh, which I really like, actually, um, for a bodhisattva. Bodhisattvas can be like um, archetypal figures, which means in a way that they're, they're just a, a sort of spiritual embodiment of a flow of transcendental energy of one type or another. Or they can actually be human beings, uh, people who've actually gained this, this state through their own hard work and their practice. But whatever they are, the, the story goes that the, for them to uh, enter a situation of suffering in the world to be of benefit... Is, is just play. It's called Leela in, uh, in the, the Indian word, which is quite... I don't know if anyone knows Amogu Leela. That's half of her name, play. Play of success, her name means. But Bodhis- so Bodhisattvas play. Um, so and the image is that they throw themselves into um, compassionate activity like an elephant or elephants throw themselves into cool pools in the forest on a really hot day in India. Um, with the same sort of relish and abandon. So I've got this little image here of my elephant jumping into a pool <laughs> with a big splash. And you, have you seen pictures um, uh, on the TV of uh, elephants, you know, washing themselves in the water and filling their trunks with water and playing and shooting the water all over the place? And uh, apparently they love eating lotus stalks and lotuses as well. So they really, it's, for them it's just complete delight being in a, a lotus pond. So for, uh, apparently for a bodhisattva, their action is just like that. It's completely delightful in a way uh, because they get so much satisfaction out of just meeting beings where they are and being able to be in some way, some appropriate way of benefit. And apparently they have no thought of, the, in a way, the past or the future. I think this is one of the keys to it. They're completely present. They're not thinking, gosh, after I've dealt with this lotus pool, there's going to be you know, endless lotus pools to deal with. I'm not sure if I can really handle it, <laughs> you know. They're just completely in that lotus pool with those people, uh, and that makes it manageable, actually, doesn't it, as well? But they're completely present. They're completely present. That's why I think that's... I've been really um, enjoying thinking about that quality of presence, that they're completely present, completely involved, um, and absorbed, really, in that situation, not holding themselves back at all. Uh, so it's a, a lovely thing to aspire to, isn't it? To be, and I think that's something we can all aspire to, to be more and more present and more and more involved and engaged with each other and actually with ourselves. Uh, it's quite, in a way, it's a very straightforward thing to aspire to. And again, with, I guess with the Bodhisattva, they do that all the time. And that's something we can move towards aspiring to do. I've got a lovely uh, little reading here that Jamal is going to do from Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind. And it's a different way of looking at that sort of total engagement. Uh, Shunryo Suzuki is the, the writer of this. Most people have a double or triple notion in one activity. There is a saying, 
to catch two birds with one stone. This is what people usually try to do. Because they want to catch too many birds, they find it difficult to be concentrated on one activity and they may end up not catching any birds at all. That kind of thinking always leaves its shadow on their activity. In order to not leave any traces when you do something, you should do it with your whole body and mind. You should be concentrated on what you do. You should do it completely, like a good bonfire. You should not be a smoky fire. You should burn yourself completely. If you do not burn yourself completely, a trace of yourself will be left in what you do. You will have something remaining which is not completely burned out. Zen activity is activity which is completely burned out, with nothing remaining but ashes. 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 It's a very good fire. You know how when it's not such a great fire, then you get sticks left behind, but... Oh, no. Mm, I find that a very evocative description of, again, just that we can just be practice being that wholehearted. So just really giving ourselves, giving ourselves, I guess, to whatever we do, whatever it is. And in relation to that, we would just notice where we feel resistance and just try and soften around that resistance so that we can just give ourselves a little bit more, give ourselves to ourselves at the same time. I had a little, just a little story actually as well, um, which comes from uh, Bansi Sangharachita when um, we were asking him a question about uh, whether it was whether he, because he has so much to do, he's he's the um, founder of our movement and everybody writes to him and asks him his advice on important matters and, you know, Internationally, he's incredibly. He could be. He could be incredibly busy. So we imagined he probably was. Anyway, so in a question and answer session, somebody said, "Well, how do you deal with that?" And and he sort of looked sort of perplexed for a minute, and he said, "Busy." Mm, I don't, he said he didn't really know what we meant by busy. He said, "Surely you just do one thing, and then you do another thing." <laughs> <laughs> we all laughed. <laughs> he was genuinely seemed to be a bit perplexed. So I think that you know, there's a big key there, isn't there, too? We, we sort of, also he said, um, if he has something to think about, he can't think about it then. He will decide when he's going to think about it. And so that he has ways of helping him be present in the moment. He doesn't worry about things that are necessarily that he can't do anything about right then and there. Um, again, it's just, there's lots of practical things we can do to become more, more present and more engaged. But uh, it was quite funny. We all knew what we meant by busy. So, uh, yes, anyway, so what it means for us, one second, the second phase of the, the talk. Because, uh, well, it could seem very distant, this perfect spontaneity, perfect compassion of the Bodhisattvas. And another little story I wanted to share, which I felt fitted in here, um, very touching story. Uh, Dada Rinpoche, who was one of Bhante's teachers and closest friends, really, from the time of his training in Kanampong in India, and apparently, uh, well, he was, he's somebody who had been recognized as a re- reborn um, incarnate lama in the Tibetan tradition, a tulku, as they're called. And at some point, somebody asked him about that, what his experience of that was. And he said, well, he wasn't sure he was a tulku, actually. 
Uh, he wasn't totally sure he was, but uh, he felt um, what, he, what he decided to do was he was going to act like one, mm-hmm. and he was going to do his best to become one. Mm-hmm. Um, and I found that very moving, actually, it's because he was somebody who had such a high, exalted position. He didn't need to say that. He didn't need to share that at all, actually. Uh, yes, it was just... And he's somebody who Bhante has said... Uh, he sees him as a, a living bodhisattva. Well, he actually is not alive at the moment. Um, a living bodhisattva. Well, his rebirth is alive, perhaps. If you, he has got a, a new tulku in India now. Yeah. Hmm. Yes. Yeah, so I want this. Uh, one of the points I wanted to make. I think I've already made it. Each of um, each of the bodhisattva's qualities are actually ordinary qualities. They're ordinary everyday qualities. Uh, I guess the key the key thing is um, that that sort of undercuts and uh, creates those qualities as a bodhisattva qualities, that egolessness. But we can actually work towards, through these five stages of the path, we can work work towards all of those qualities in the the bodhisattva. And of course, bodhisattvas aren't born bodhisattvas, uh, even tulkus, it seems. uh, um, The Buddha wasn't born enlightened. They people uh, gain enlightenment through sheer hard work and inspiration, um, and just perseverance and the encouragement of their friends. Yeah, just keeping keeping going. So yes. Yeah, so what's the practice of spontaneity? What that might mean for us now, um, in each moment. I had a few, a few thoughts on this. We're going to come back to that a bit in kind of a workshop later on. And I'm going to uh, mention a few questions later on for our workshop or um, discussion. So, yes, spontaneity. I think, so this last part, this last stage of the path, um, compassionate, spontaneous action, uh, it's also the stage which is the result of all our practice to that point. So I feel as though this stage um, means embodying just fully and confidently uh, the point we are on uh, at the, on the path at the moment. Uh, at, every, at every moment in time, you could say we are um, traversing that path and we are, the, we are the sum total of our spiritual practice to this date as we sit here. We, we are enough as we sit here. We, we have actually got a lot of... We're all very different, but we have a lot of spiritual practice under our belt. So I think there's something about this, this stage is to do with being who we are and standing strong in the qualities that we do have, because, of course, that's going to help us uh, expand into further qualities. And not to want other people's qualities, not to compare ourselves, which, of course, I do, and we probably many of us do all the time, not to wish we had other qualities, uh, um, which, uh, you know, which seem so much more attractive than our own yeah, and when I got my name Dianandi, I thought, "Oh, Dian, that's rather boring. That means kindness, because I sort of took that for granted in myself. The kindness, that's rather dull. I wish I'd had something more dynamic, and uh, that means I'm not dynamic. You know, so we get so self-referential, don't we? <laughs> yes, and uh, we don't then really live out the fullness of the quality that we do have. So yes, it's. Uh, I think this stage is about trusting ourselves and letting the fruits of our practice really shine in our lives and actually just noticing how 
what the new fruits that come through our practice as we do practice. Um, I've, I've actually been coming along more regularly in Manchester for the last six months, and I have seen people changing and blossoming in that period even. And you all know, I'm sure, your spiritual friends, you've seen those people growing and changing. I've known Vijamala here and Diamala for um, 20, 20 odd years, maybe more, and they've both changed immeasurably over that time. Yeah, I think there's, there's something important about just being really confident, really confident in the fruits of the practice that we're engaged in and letting it, I mean, I'm talking to myself as well, very much as my friends here will tell you. Uh, we all need to let those qualities shine forth more and uh, try and let, letting go of the, the views that we have that limit us, such as I can't give a talk from a spider diagram. <laughs> First time I've done it. <laughs> So we can let ourselves, uh, it's only, it's quite a sort of wordy spider diagram actually, but it's my first one. And we can let ourselves just sort of go a bit and uh, let ourselves fly. Yeah. And the main, the main thing, because the main thing we have to give to the world is ourselves, of course. Yeah, that's what a bodhisattva is really giving in essence when they're being really there present with somebody in suffering. Um, you don't want somebody coming to help you who's just trying to sort you out and get you off the list of suffering beings you <laughs> so they can go and save the next one what you actually, what you actually want is uh, somebody who's prepared to meet you as an individual and just be with you and uh, that's what uh, that, that quality of just being oneself in the moment is gives enormously it's what it gives so now I've got a, um, it's not so much a poem, as a, it's a piece I found in a book called Soulcraft by Bill Plotkin. And he's talking about what we have to give to the world. The gift you carry for others is not an attempt to save the world, but to fully belong to it. It's not possible to save the world by trying to save it. You need to find what is genuinely yours to offer the world before you can make it a better place. Discovering your unique gift to bring to your community is your greatest opportunity and challenge. The offering of that gift your true self. It's the most you can do to love and serve the world, and it is all the world needs. Mm. I think that's really amazing, actually, that, uh, that uh, quotation. Is it worth the use of? Um, yes, yes. I could also say I've, um, I've got a little handout for everybody tonight, and that quote is on it. So... Can I read it again? Yeah. Okay. The gift you carry for others is not an attempt to save the world, but to fully belong to it. It's not possible to save the world by trying to save it. You need to find what is genuinely yours to offer the world before you can make it a better place. Discovering your unique gift to bring to your community is your greatest opportunity and challenge. The offering of that gift, your true self, 
is the most you can do to love and serve the world and it is all the world needs. It's very moving and reassuring somehow, isn't it? It's all the world needs. Oops, I nearly broke into song there. The world needs now, needs love. Sorry, that's the lowest the tone entirely. No, doesn't it spontaneous activity? <clears throat> oh, it's spontaneous. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Gosh. We want you to dance as well. <laughs> Feel free. <laughs> that was your spontaneous thought. <laughs> mm, yes. Mm. There's something quite magical about that. Sort of counterintuitive, isn't there? Mm. That we feel we have to develop these special qualities yeah. <clears throat> and be what everybody needs. And uh, plus, it's partly the ego wanting to be great at giving talks or dancing spontaneously. Uh, it's just how we are, really, isn't it? Uh, that I didn't. I was trying to keep a, a short talk, but I've got this, this wonderful piece actually in. I think it's in the book Wisdom Beyond Words. So I'm just going to say a little bit about it in a few words, in which Banty is saying that actually well, we don't need special qualities. He said somebody, <clears throat> somebody came to see him once and they said they didn't feel that they were very good at anything. And he said, he said, oh, you don't need to worry about that. He said, you can see yourself as an um, unspecialized human being. <laughs> <laughs> and then he went on to say that... Uh, as a human being, it's just enough to be a human being and, and that you're the product of millions of years of evolution. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's a waste to be sitting behind a typewriter or, you know, sort of keying in data or whatever it is that, that we do. That isn't, that isn't uh, the purpose to which we were born, to, um, you know, we throw our lives away. We may have to do something to obviously make money, but that isn't our expression as a human being. It doesn't matter what our qualities and talents are. He said, just sitting and being and doing nothing is a perfect expression of who we are. Mm. And how we are. So it's, I think, so I think, um, and also, uh, I think if we can be happy to be who we are, then the quality of how we are is going to be more effective with others as well. And we're going to be able to just sort of have that connection be able to be more connected with human beings, which is actually usually what most people find the most important thing. Uh, and which uh, takes me to another little story I remember. Uh, quite, str- I was really struck by this. Was on a, I was on a retreat at Taraloka. I don't know if either of you two, these two ladies here, have lived with me at Taraloka Retreat Centre for many years. So. Um, we were on a, a team of a beginners, newcomers, a week-long retreat at Taraloka. And I, we'd done a few of these, and I remember on this particular occasion thinking the talks we'd given and the teaching was really great. You know, I thought we'd actually done much better than before, and it was really clear, and people seemed to, you know, it was good, good discussions. So when it came to the end, we had a, a sort of closing circle, and people were going around saying what they'd found helpful. And two, th- you know, several people, maybe half, at least half of people, what they said was what they'd found inspiring was the friendships in the team and the way we communicated with each other and sort of the openness and the, the quality of the atmosphere. That was what that really moved people. It wasn't the quality of the teaching particularly. No doubt that was fine, but it was actually this human thing. And one person in particular mentioned, I think I'd been um, teaching meditation posture and the fact that this ease of relationship between me and the person I had to model 
who I was flipping around and showing the, the different ways of sitting. Because I just w- could just touch her on the shoulder or move around. People would just thought that was, I don't know, they were just very touched by that. So you just don't know what's, um, sometimes you don't realise what it, what's important. You don't realise what's important. Just being us as human beings is, is what gives the most. Very, very beautiful. Yeah, so that's, you know, we're leading on to some questions for later on. Uh, how can we give ourselves more? How can we give more of ourselves? How can we be more ourselves and give more of ourselves in the world? Something to think about for later. Um, is there something we need to let go of that hinders us from doing that, uh, that stops us from uh, giving of ourselves? Another question, how can I be more fully human what would that mean for me to, to be really human? What do I consider human qualities are um, to be really human, humane? And am I happy just to be an unspecialised human being? <laughs> so now I'm on the, the last stage of the, the talk, just some reflections on the whole, the whole series of talks and some precepts from uh, our teacher. So yes, just to sum up really the five great stages of the spiritual path as a thought. Well, I think it's a great set of practices, a great path, very, very helpful. Um, and I thought one, one thing I'd mention is it isn't just a, a random list of, of, maybe that's obvious, it's not a random list of practices to do that happen to be in a particular order. Uh, I think what, what these particular stages are, they actually show the natural way in which the hu- a human being evolves uh, spiritually um, if we practice the Dharma. Those are the stages that the human psyche goes through. It goes through a stage of becoming more you know, mindful, more positive, and, it, and then on the basis of that deep, very deep positivity, being able to see through to the nature of existence, and then that naturally bringing about change and transformation, part of which is the overflowing into compassionate activity. So I think that's just important to realise that. It's uh, not just any old teaching, and uh, as it were. Not, uh, not a, I'm not saying that other teachings are worse or anything. Just getting myself out of that hole quickly. <laughs> but these are, this is to do with how a human being naturally grows and evolves. Yeah. It's a very simple progressive series too. So not only can we... Um, well, we can actually take each of those uh, stages and just deepen our practice of any of them at any time, in fact. But also they augment each, each other and uh, they build on each other. And so we can use that to help us if we feel that we're a bit low on, say, positive emotion. Uh, well, actually, what underpins positive emotion is mindfulness and integration. We can actually then, we can think, well, actually, I'm, I'm going to spend more time, become more aware of myself, um, uh, see perhaps perhaps there's elements in me I'm not aware of which are actually draw, dragging me down or um, you know, creating unhappiness in some sort of way. Uh, if we feel a bit, um, we haven't got much insight, uh, we feel as though we, we're shying away maybe from insight or we're not able to see how things are, we need more positive emotion. So we can actually, we can actually deepen that positive emotion so that uh, they rest on each other. Spontaneous, compassionate activity is the result of the whole lot. It's the result of the insight and the transformation. Yeah. So that's very, very useful and uh, practical. 
lots in it. I'm going to end, end almost end, not quite end, just to describe the, uh, these five um, very simple everyday precepts that Bante gave to us when he gave that original teaching, which are going to be on your handouts as well. So you something to take home. And he described these as just something we can do every day to, as a reminder of these different stages and to, in a way, keep on progressing them in uh, any ways we can. So the five precepts of the path. The first one, which is to do with this first stage, keep up the effort to be mindful and aware and be as together as possible, as integrated as possible. So we can always try and do that. We can always deepen our mindfulness uh, and our awareness into different, maybe into more areas of our being, into perhaps with our body or into our emotions, our thoughts. There's always, um, we always find, we can keep on finding sort of rather dark, blank areas and we can just extend our awareness into that. The second, uh, the second precept to do with this stage of positive emotion this is quite simple. He says, remain in as positive a mental state as you possibly can. <laughs> Good advice. Yeah. So presumably that means let's sort of yeah, find ways to do that. And we can, if, we, if we're thinking about that, um, as in we're trying to cultivate positive mental states, then we sort of look at what conditions, under what conditions do we lose our positivity, actually. And we could try to avoid those like if you know, staying up too late and um, then you know need to get up early in the morning and we get irritated, we could decide to not stay up so late so often, have less irritation, and our friends will appreciate that. Number three, uh, that's moving on to the stage of insight and spiritual vision. Uh, Bounty says, do not lose sight of your ultimate goal at any time. Do not lose sight of your ultimate goal at any time. That's really helpful actually isn't it? it doesn't say you've got to gain insight it says just remember where you're going and keep that perspective that there's there is more to life than uh, perhaps there's more objectivity there's more uh, to life than we currently experience and that's also going to if we can keep in mind that ultimate goal that's going to help us in uh, everyday life in what well, in the decisions we make i suppose in, in the light of that goal so what, do we, what are we going to do? What's the most important thing at the moment? Number four, that's the stage of transformation. Try to apply this. Uh, I think that's the, the site of the ultimate goal. Try, try to apply this to practice at every level. Whatever you've realized or discovered or seen on the highest level of your being, you apply it um, at any time to every level of your being. You can read that one later. That's fine. <laughs> a little bit involved. And then number five, which is our stage of today, compassionate, spontaneous activity. Do your best for other people. Do what you can to help people. Mm. That's one of Dada Rinpoche's actual uh, sayings, actually. If you don't know what to do, do something for other people. Because quite often we're sort of hanging around thinking, oh, I've got half an hour, what should I do? Uh, you could go and, uh, yeah find something to do that's of benefit for others. I remember also somebody going to see Banti and asked, saying he wasn't sure whether he should go there or go there. 
and and I think the uh, the response was well what, what's going to be most beneficial for other people <laughs> rather than which isn't what you necessarily expect as a response is it um, just a little quote to finish that stage um, yeah Banty just finishing off with that. So if you just try to do these five things all the time, all the time, you can forget all about making progress or where exactly you are on the path. One just intensifies one's efforts in those five directions, as it were, all the time. One simply can't go wrong then. Very, very straightforward. So very sensible, isn't it? And uh, He does say, actually, that we shouldn't think too much about gaining insight, but just get on with our practice. It's that sort of gaining element just gets in the way. One last, one last uh, element, and it's a poem. We haven't had a full poem really this week. This is a poem by Mary Oliver, and it's called Spring. But it sort of summed up this stage very beautifully. This morning, two birds fell down the side of the maple tree like a tuft of fire, a wheel of fire, a love knot, out of control as they plunged through the air, pressed against each other. And I thought, how I meant to live a quiet life, how I meant to live a life of mildness and meditation tapping the careful words against each other. And I thought, as though I were suddenly spinning like a bar of silver, as though I had shaken my arms, and lo, they were wings of the Buddha, when he rose from his green garden, when he rose in his powerful ivory body, when he turned to the long, dusty road without end when he covered his hair with ribbons and the petals of flowers, when he opened his hands to the world. Shall I read it again? Shall I read it again? So you can sort of, it's quite complex. This morning, two birds fell down the side of the maple tree like a tuft of fire, a wheel of fire, a love knot out of control as they plunged through the air, pressed against each other. And I thought, how I meant to live a quiet life, how I meant to live a life of mildness and meditation, tapping the careful words against each other. And I thought, as though I were suddenly spinning like a bar of silver, as though I had shaken my arms, and lo, they were wings of the Buddha, when he rose from his green garden, when he rose in his powerful ivory body, when he turns to the long, dusty road without end, when he covered his hair with ribbons and the petals of flowers, when he opened his hands to the world. Thank you. That's, 
Etienne. Thank you.